ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. Episode 222, I'm your host, Jared Weich, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Dominic Orlando. Well, today's the day. We saw Big Daddy Phil flex, flex that right bicep. Oof. Big Daddy Phil. <laughs> if you guys didn't listen last week, uh, or if you did, we talked about how, at the end of the show, this week we would likely be seeing the closing of the Microsoft acquisition of ZeniMax, which are the the parent company of Bethesda. And this week it passed both in the United States and the EU and it was official. So the day we're recording this, which is Thursday, May, I was going to say May, not yet, March 11th, uh, they had a Bethesda Microsoft roundtable, which we'll get to later, which is a nice little special event where they talked about some stuff. Um, but other than that, there was some news that kind of went under the table a little bit that dropped today that Square Enix is holding their own like state of play, Dom. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, too, uh, and talk about what they have, uh, they're going to show, because Square Enix, mostly known as a Japanese developer, but I guess people forget how much of a Western uh, footprint they have in terms of the video game releases they have. But let's get to the rundown first, Dom. And we have a couple of new stories here, both having to do with everyone's favorite subject, not Pokemon, money. Uh, so first up, Forza Horizon 4. Uh in a movement that we've seen with all of Xbox's exclusives going to PC and partially with PlayStation, we're probably going to see that a little bit more in the future. Forza Horizon 4 launched on Steam this week and was only second to Valheim on the Steam top selling charts, which is kind of incredible. Uh, Valheim, obviously selling astronomically well. It's like the indie game of the moment right now. It's the Viking survival game. But Forza Horizon 4, a racing game, which is a niche genre, to launch on Steam and see these sales obviously is partly due to the critical attention this game has received in the series in general. Uh, and also there's been kind of a drought for racing games. A lot of them have been delayed recently, especially with like Gran Turismo and stuff. Uh, I guess the big point about this, Dom, is, you know, Xbox launching this on Steam, they didn't need to. It being second on Steam's top selling charts shows that it sold very well, right? Made a lot of money. Isn't this like the evidence we need to show all of the PlayStation fans who are upset that PlayStation games are coming to PC. Like, this is why you do it, right? You have Forza Horizon 4, which came out years ago at this point, and it's a brand new revenue stream for these companies. Yeah, for sure. And it, and that's impressive. And I, I had a question for you, though, because okay. you could already play this game on PC. It just had to be through, like, the Xbox. Um, the Microsoft Store, yeah. Yeah. Like, I believe that's the, the case, right? Yes. And so... You could have had Game Pass and, and played this game already on PC like for months or however long it's already been there. But enough people didn't want to do that. But well, as soon as it Epi hits Steam, they're buying. Exactly. Well, with <laughs> Epic Game Store, right? We saw how upset Steam gamers were. And they're very right. like tribal about that. And there's people who are like, I'm only going to buy games when they come to Steam. And I partially get that because I'm that way with some indies when like I'm going to wait for it to come to Xbox so it has attachment uh, achievements attached to it, right? I get that aspect of it, but with PC, it's a little bit different because it's all on one platform. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, to your point, machine. It, exactly, it shows a bunch of people here that either didn't get Game Pass, don't want to use the Microsoft Store, or just decided to wait. It could be one of those things, too, uh, Dom, where a lot of people just didn't know it was on PC already, right? Their assumption right. might have been uh, Forza Horizon 4 that only launches on the Xbox consoles. Oh, it dropped in Steam. I'm getting it, having no idea it's mm -hmm. available through Xbox Game Pass on PC, right? They might be logging into steam most days um exactly you know they don't log into the microsoft store on their pcs or so, so yeah that's probably a, a good portion of it probably that makes a lot of sense 
but yeah, it's, this is an interesting uh, piece of news. It, it points out a couple of things. Like, um, like you said, I think the big one is like, yeah, that's why you, you know, make stuff available on other platforms, even if it's a little bit older, like you make some new money. Like there's, there's other people on other platforms that would pay for your stuff. Um, even if it's literally one click, you know, a different app on the same machine, that's a new audience. Exactly. You know? And guess what this does? If a new Forest game comes out this fall, Xbox or other marketing can say like, yeah, this is launching in Game Pass. These people just went and played Forza Horizon 4 on Steam. And they're like, man, I can get this for like 15 bucks on Game Pass. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's, it's bonus marketing as well. It's kind of like what we expect that PlayStation is doing where all of these people get to experience uh, Horizon uh, Zero Dawn. I always get, I'm always worried I'm going to say the wrong one between that and Forbidden West. Uh, and people are going to be able to play the sequel. Um, so it's it's awesome. Once again, me and you are not the type of people that are going to, oh, why are my PlayStation games coming to PC? Why are my Xbox games coming to PC? Because I, I want the, what I, what I would wish is that the game developers and the companies in general get to go on and not having to worry about closing or shuttering or any of that stuff. And having additional revenue streams is the best way to do that and prevent that from happening. So anyway, these companies can make more money. I know Microsoft has plenty of money. I'm talking more about like playground games and their games selling well, but yeah, that's that. Uh, speaking of Microsoft though, uh, and you'll get to why this is attached to them, Roblox. So if you're not familiar with Roblox, Roblox is arguably the second biggest game among second or third, maybe depending on how you rank them with like Fortnite and Minecraft and Roblox. They're like the big three of kids games, right? Like most kids are going to be playing one of those. Um, Obviously, Roblox has some issues with, like, privacy and security for kids. That's what I've seen the most, like, tangentially from from parents and stuff. Whereas Minecraft, despite what Jim Ryan says, and Fortnite are a little bit safer for kids. Um, Either way, Roblox went public this week. And they went public for a valuation of $41.9 billion, which is a lot of money. And the reason I want to bring this up is, one... This shows, like, people don't talk about Roblox, but obviously there's a lot of money in that, especially being a kid's product, or at least marketed to kids. And two, it showcases the steal that Microsoft accomplished when they purchased Minecraft in 2014. Dom, do you remember how much Microsoft bought Minecraft for? I I know it was less than Disney bought Star Wars, so that would make it, like, a a couple billion. 2.5 billion is what they got Minecraft for. And to put that into perspective, where Roblox publicly now is worth $42 billion, essentially, that's crazy, right? Because you would imagine if Minecraft is independent and it went public, it would be more than Roblox. Had to be. Just because of the amount of sales, its reach, educational stuff, all of that. So, yeah, it's pretty incredible Microsoft did purchasing it back then. And remember, people were, like, scratching their heads when that happened. They're like, Microsoft is buying Minecraft for $2.5 billion. They're crazy. Turns out they weren't. So... Pretty incredible stuff there. Um, yeah, I, I think this will be the first and only time we ever talk about Roblox unless something financial uh, comes up again. But I thought that was a really neat thing to talk about considering uh, how time changes our perception of things like this. Yeah. Um, yeah, incredible stuff. Let's get to the Square Enix Presents, Dom. So Square Enix will host a live digital showcase on Thursday, March 18th. So we'll, we'll cover it on next week's podcast. The video presentation known as Square Enix Presents Label for series of shows from the company. So think of like State of Play or Nintendo Direct. So this isn't a one-off thing. We'll focus primarily on Western games, this specific one, from the publisher. It'll be starting at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Uh, So kind of early, which is nice. 
the biggest confirmed announcement, this is where things get interesting. The biggest confirmed announcement will be the world premiere of the next Life is Strange game, featuring, quote, an all-new protagonist wielding an exciting new power, end quote. Square Enix said in the news release. So I want to start off with that before we get to the rest of this. Life is Strange, I loved the first one. I never got around to playing Before the Storm. I kind of want to play that now that I'm hearing news that a new one's on the way. I played uh, Captain Spirit, I think, like weird free demo game. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And I never got around to finishing Life is Strange 2. I played the first episode, but it goes back to our whole thing about episodic content. Like by the time the second one came out, I was playing something else. I had forgot about it and it kind of got lost in the wind. What does this uh, notion of a new Life is Strange being announced next week do for you in terms of excitement? Not much. Um, I haven't played any of them. Though I've... Oh, that's right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. This is one of those uh, gaps for me. Um, played a lot of games, you know, similar, and I've enjoyed most of them, and this is largely up my alley, but I've not I've not gotten to any of the Life is Strange games yet. So, um, yeah, I still got to finish, um, you know, get to the, the first two um, and that interstitial one before, uh, before this is going to get me excited. But... It's cool, nonetheless. I know a lot of people uh, love the series and stuff, so it's cool that it's uh, it's still doing well and that yeah they have another one coming. For people like you, I hope maybe they announce like a collection of like both games bundled with everything in it. That'd be pretty cool. Um, I'm interested to see where they go. So I know you like tangentially know what they're about. So the first one is about a girl in the Pacific Northwest with like time powers, right? And that's as vague as I'm going to be because obviously I don't want to spoil it for you if you eventually get to it. The second game was about two brothers. Uh, I forget where it takes place exactly, but it's focused on two brothers, and they're on they're 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 on the run, like they're running away, uh, trying to hide their identity. Okay, once again being vague, so I don't spoil anything for you. So this third game, I'm really intrigued to see what the power is and the setting, um, because the first game kind of got it was critically well received, but it got. Uh, some fair criticism that they use a little bit too much Northwestern California slang in it, which I totally get. Um, and the biggest thing I want though, Dom goes back to the episodic. I want this all to release at once or they have the set dates. Like they're releasing week after week, right? This Friday, the next Friday, next Friday. Um, I just think that works best for these episodic games. We saw it work well for God, the name's escaping. What's the episodic game we both played. That's the Xbox exclusive. Tell me. Tell me why. Um, and that's as much as you enjoy. Tell me why. That's why it's so surprising. You haven't played life is strange because they kind of go hand in hand. Uh, the reason in a lot of ways, tell me why exists is because of life is strange. Uh, Cause it's a very similar game. So that's what I want. I just don't want some vague release schedule. I think that'll hurt it more than anything, mm-hmm. um, but it's cool that we have this confirmed because this isn't, this is the type of like series where you can say beforehand, we're showing off the new life is strange. You don't need to wait for a tease. Because if that's the big surprise of the show, then it could lead to disappointment, no matter how excited people are. Uh, next up, speaking of excitement for uh, announcements, here are the games that are confirmed to be appearing, Dom. We got Outriders, which is from People Can Fly. This is a new RPG shooter coming April 1st. People are loving the gameplay and the demo. Not really liking much else in terms of the narrative or cutscenes or any of that stuff. Um, next up, Balan Wonderworld, which also has a a, a demo out. Oh. This is the platformer that people uh, detail as uh, a nightmare dream. Uh, I've heard it, about this. Yeah, it's coming out March 26th. 
it it seems like a fever dream of a demo. It's wild. Uh, what what it uh, specifically blessing and Imran Khan of kind of funny talked about this game and boy howdy it does it seem like a trip it's like if somebody took acid and went to go try to play like harvest moon or something it's like wild i don't understand um so if you're excited for that awesome next up marvel's avengers uh, which will add hawkeye next gen upgrades on march 18th so this is the day that update comes out and i don't know what they're going to show but this is something i want to talk about specifically because you know how much i enjoy this game dom despite all of its flaws i hope that because this is the same day that Hawkeye and the next gen upgrades come out, that this is where they reveal their roadmap. That's the biggest issue with, I mean, one of the big issues with this game is there's no roadmap for people to look forward to. I don't see a world in which this presentation ends and we don't have at least a tease of the next expansion. And I think it's going to be the Black Panther Wakanda stuff. Um, yeah, and then uh, I don't know if you heard about this whole XP nonsense that they're doing where they're like fixing the curve of the XP for the characters. Uh, which I get, but it's like, you're already having a tough enough time getting a player base. You probably don't want to make your game more grindy. That's something you can do if you had a player base like Destiny. But it's a conversation for another day. So hopefully we see something from this game. Uh, I really want opportunities and reasons to go back and play it. Uh, Just Cause Mobile. They're making a mobile game for Just Cause. Cool for people oh. who care about that. Uh, new, mobile, new mobile game announcements from Square Enix Montreal. They're the studio that did all of the Go games, right? They had Tomb Raider, Go, Hitman, Go. Really cool puzzle games. I wonder what else they have up their sleeve. Uh, and lastly, unspecified games from Taito, which is Square Enix's sister company, which makes a bunch of like shovelware Japanese games. So unexciting there. Uh, I wanted to add here, because Jeff Grubb added, they will likely celebrate Tomb Raider's 25th anniversary with the reveal of the Tomb Raider Definitive Survival Trilogy, which leaked recently on the Microsoft Store. So we kind of know that exists. Uh, it's It also... Uh, leaked with the release date of the 18th dumb so it looks like we're getting a shadow drop and that's the collection to clarify of the new trilogy of tomb raider games uh that were kind of critically mixed so that's all of that uh they said it's western focus so i doubt we see anything regarding final fantasy anything dumb um what do you think this pres presentation has to do to be successful so i'm not saying what does it have to do to like hype people up or get people excited like what does it need to do like hit that even kill five out of ten like okay it was worth watching but it could get better i mean i think it kind of already did that in you know what we know about it and setting the expectations i think that's like important because now um it's kind of like it's not going to blow anyone away definitely but i can't see people being like incredibly let down either right we kind of know we understand yeah. it they they outline the scope of it really well. Um, like, yep, these are just Western games. This is what it is. You know, it's kind of a... I, I think, like, they just kind of follow through. Like, it'll be fine. It'll be good. Like, some couple things in there will get some people really excited. I'm, I, To be honest, I think, like, it was kind of, it's kind of a bummer that, um, you know, the Tomb Raider thing that's going out. Because that could have been a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a pop if that was a, more of a surprise. Because, um, yeah, a lot of people really, really like... Uh, at least some of those games, yeah, like you said, they were kind of critically mixed, but still like feel good overall. And so, yeah, with um, you know, a lot of series are getting uh, collections and next gen updates, uh, things like that. So like that could have been a nice surprise, but um, oh well. But yeah, I think I think this show should be good. I don't think they uh, need to do anything crazy extra at this point. And maybe there there is something still under their sleeve that'll make it a bit extra. But I don't see it being bad because the expectations are set properly. 
Yeah, and with them saying specifically Western games, I like I said, I don't expect any Final Fantasy. I think they're clearly with that line saying, don't expect to see any Final Fantasy because at this point I think they're getting constant questions of when are we seeing Final Fantasy 16 again over and over. Um, and yeah, so I think the biggest pop we can get is anything Wakanda from Marvel's Avengers. Other mm-hmm. than that, I think it's going to be by the books. And this is interesting because I wonder if this is their way of making presentations aimed at specific parts of their audience because I don't know what the overlap is between people who are into all of the Japanese stuff they do and then people who are into the Western stuff they do. And I think splitting it up like this allows people to watch the stuff they want to watch, right? Um, so we'll see what happens. Obviously, safe to say their Japanese presents will probably be a lot more hype because of the games they have on that stratosphere. Uh, who knows? They could, We could see the first glimpse of that Guardians game that's supposedly been in development or whatever because they still have that partnership with Microsoft, uh, Marvel Beyond uh, Marvel's Avengers. So we'll see. Once again, like you, I uh, don't expect anything crazy, and they la- they laid it out as it's going to be, so I don't think they're expecting people to desire anything crazy, but who knows? We also don't have a time frame for it, so I wonder if it's like, it's like a 15-minute, 20-minute presentation, get in, get out. That'd be nice, too. Hopefully there's not too much filler. But we'll see what happens. We'll talk about it on next week's show. Let's get into the meat of the podcast, Dom. Xbox and Bethesda is now official. This week, the Microsoft acquisition of Bethesda's parent company, ZeniMax, legally closed, which means both companies revealed some hints of the future of the partnership. So ever since this this acquisition was announced, people have been asking Bethesda and Xbox, what's happening with Xbox games? What's happening with Bethesda games? What's happening with everything? And for legal purposes, they literally couldn't answer those questions and they couldn't talk about the future because that's illegal, right? It's tampering. You can't do that. So they had a way for it to legally pass in both Europe and the United States um, in Europe because Bethesda has European developers, including Arcane uh, and Machine Games. So let's get into it. Phil Spencer's statement. uh, Excuse me. (laughs) Phil Spencer's statement as soon as the announcement was made. So, quote, today we officially welcome Bethesda to Team Xbox. Our goal is to empower the teams across Bethesda to create their greatest work and to learn from them as we deliver more games to players around the world our work together begins now nothing much to say there just filmmaking an opening statement we're merged together yada 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 uh then we had the uh the day we're recording this which is march 11th we had the bethesda xbox uh presentation where they had a round table and sat together and there was some stuff that came out of this is pretty eye-opening the first thing being that the following uh bethesda games are going to be added to game pass March 12th, which is the day after the roundtable took place, and those games include Dishonored Definitive Edition, Dishonored 2, the original Doom, the original Doom 2, Doom 64, Doom 3, Doom Eternal, Fallout New Vegas, Fallout 4, Fallout uh, 76, Prey, Rage 2, Morrowind, Oblivion, Skyrim, Elder Scrolls Online, The Evil Within, Wolfenstein New Order, Wolfenstein Old Blood, and Wolfenstein Youngblood. Uh, and if you're wondering, like, well, some of those games, weren't they already on Xbox Game Pass? Yes, yeah, some of them were either on, like, PC or the console. These are coming to everything uh, now. They're getting added. So uh, the one interesting note here that I noticed, the newest Wolfenstein is not on here, uh, which probably has to do with some contractual obligations. And Evil Within 2 isn't on here either. Uh, other than that, awesome. Uh, I might finally jump into Dishonored and Dishonored 2, Dom, with these announcements. Because uh, now I don't have to buy them. You've never played? No, I've never played them. They just never interested me. 
Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh this is exciting. Um, there, it, it's really cool. Oh, you're, I think you're gonna like it. Yeah. So, if I'm being honest, I rented Dishonored and I didn't like it. But that was like, when did the first Dishonored come out? Like six 20... years ago. Oh no, longer. No that. longer than that. Twenty twelve or thirteen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I played it when I oh, rented it when it originally came out, and I didn't like it. Um, but that could have been for a multitude of reasons. But I'm willing to give it another try. So, that's that. Uh, yeah, bunch of bunch of really good games there. I'm surprised it happened so soon, Dom, because this is something they could have rolled out over months. They're like, we're adding the Fallout collection, we're adding the this collection, and the fact that they're like, no, tomorrow we're adding all these games is really cool. Um, and people are like, well, yeah, how hard is it? Xbox owns them now. They just are like. Yeah, those games put them on there. People don't understand like all of the legal paperwork. They have to go back and make sure there aren't any residual deals that these games are tied to, right? Like it's a lot of work. They probably had to cancel some stuff that they already had planned. It's more than just drag and drop into the thing. So it's really yeah. impressive that they were able to do this. Um, Xbox added to this announcement of all these games coming to Game Pass. A handful of these games will also benefit from FPS boost on Xbox Series X and S. And we'll have more to share on that soon. We talked about this maybe a couple weeks ago, right, Dom? About the FPS boost and how they're slowly yeah. rolling out that program. What does this mean for you? Because for me, it means I might go back and play New Vegas if it gets the boost. Yeah, that's um, that's pretty cool. And, th- and this because this is that that incredible thing that they're doing, where it's not even an update to the game. It's just the consoles Automatic. are just automatically able to improve the game. And that's like that's just incredible. Um, so that's that's super cool that they're that they're able to do this. And so yeah, something like Fallout New Vegas, which um <clears throat> is kind of known to be a bit, you know, buggy, and I guess it's not gonna fix the bugs, but like something like a inconsistent frame rate, um, and low resolution and I think it can they'll even like add HDR. I'm not sure if that's for every game, but I know that's a thing that um might already even be doing that. But yeah, like that kind of stuff is it's super cool that they're able to do that and like it it gives people like reason to go back to an older game like that when they might not have um and it makes this announcement you know of a, an older game like new vegas coming to game pass like that much cooler that much it gives it that much more pop so this is it's super cool and it immediately bolsters game pass even more because instead mm-hmm. of it being a bethesda deal where these games come in and then rotate out like they're there in there permanently and a game like rage 2 dumb which i think you know it reviewed okay it was like a seven essentially that game is a game that'll probably thrive on Game Pass because it's an open world game where there's a lot of action going on. And it's one of those games where somebody's sitting there with Game Pass, like, I don't know what to play next. Oh, Rage 2. I heard that game's fun, but it wasn't like super good. I'm just going to download it and check it out. And you can have fun for an afternoon or a weekend and not worry about that. Um, and that game, because um, I, I, I played it earlier, or, or I guess last year, um, only a couple hours. And that, that game is, is really interesting because it's the the combat the gameplay is so fun and so interesting and fat. it's like it's like doom you know kind of pace but like with way more abilities and like the areas are bigger it's way like even funner than that it's just after that there's just nothing going on there's no yeah anything it's just super bu- yeah that's a you're right that's a game that i think could benefit from this a lot well especially you know we talk about expectations and spending money on games when you have game pass it kind of alleviates that pressure of I spent mm-hmm. X amount of money on this game. I hope it lives up to the value I put into that money because everyone has a different, you know, value that they place in the money they spend. So with that, it's like, okay, I'm going to download and try it. And 
you know, they come to the point where I love the gameplay, but is there much else here? Well, I got this game for free. I'm just going to continue having a blast because who cares, you know? So, and to that point too, Dom, I think a conversation we need to have is, I think people are talking about Bethesda Game Studios and Elder Scrolls and all these bigger titles. I think one of the biggest winners in this whole acquisition that people don't talk about are Arcane and, and Tango Gameworks because they've made games that have critically reviewed well, but they make games in niche genres and the games haven't sold very well. And I do think if Bethesda was independent still, would we ever get a Dishonored 3? Would we get an Evil Within 3? Would these these teams be focused to work on bigger projects that are guaranteed money for the company? Like with Game Pass and being part of Microsoft, don't you think that this allows them to have a bigger breadth of creativity and possibly go to these franchises that may have not been commercial successes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cause um that that's the kind of stuff we, we sometimes take for granted, I think. Um sometimes like like the exclusivity of things and you know, even the timed deals, like sometimes some of that stuff is is like vital to, you know, yeah. certain games even happening. Right? Like uh okay, Deathloop. Like that's a brand new game that like and that's a risk, right? A new IP, and especially that game because it's kind of a, a weird structure to it. Um, so that's a bit risky. So maybe like, yeah, like it's kind of annoying that it has this exclusivity deal for a timed period on PlayStation. But like, maybe that chunk of change that Sony forked over was kind of the reason that investors or like the publishers like were like, okay, yeah, we can we can sign off on this project now because we know we have that much more safety. And so like Game Pass is kind of like that, but way 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 more so right um yeah and it's very and apparent it's on, in like indie games which i'm totally yeah. fine i'm like yeah all these indie games get your extra money <laughs> you know what i mean exactly. secure your future yeah mm-hmm. um i don't know it's 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 interesting and I, I i do hope for people like you who really love dishonored that this opens the doors for that because like we said if they were still independent who knows if we would have seen another dishonored and it, you know maybe the only reason death loop does exist is because of the exclusivity deal because it is like a spiritual successor to Dishonored, right? Um, let's get into You talked about exclusivity. Let's talk about uh, Phil's exact comments on those. So in the Xbox Bethesda Roundtable, which took place on March 11th, Phil Spencer stated in regards to exclusivity regarding Bethesda's future games, quote, if you're an Xbox customer, the thing I want you to know is there's this is about delivering great exclusive games for you that ship on all platforms where Game Pass exists, end quote. So here are all the statements that he made, because this wasn't just the only one. I didn't want to go through everything he said, so here's a sum, uh, summation of like everything he said. One, contracts on current Bethesda games will be honored. As you mentioned, Deathloop, also Ghostwire Tokyo. Excuse me. Two, games already released on other platforms will continue to be supported. So obviously you want to think about ESO, which is Elder Scrolls Online, or Fallout 76, but people also have to understand the single player titles that get updates uh, to fix the performance, right? So those are still going to be supported. Now, who knows how often those will be supported that way in, in comparison to the Xbox versions, but it is the case. And three, this Bethesda deal is about exclusive content for Xbox. So that's the thing to hammer home is it's, we were teetering on the line of what does this mean for the future of them? And Phil Spencer made it clear as clear as he could that like, we're delivering these games exclusively wherever Game Pass exists. And I know some people are like, what does that mean? They would eventually come to Nintendo if, if it gets Game Pass on the Switch. Or what about PlayStation? Out of those two, I think Nintendo is more likely. I don't think either of them would ever have Game Pass just because it takes away from the internal revenue on the hardware for the company. Um, but this shows that, yeah, 
Bethesda games are the big boys are going to be coming to PC and Xbox, and it seems like unless it's a multiplayer title, where it's going to be exclusive. So, what do you think about these comments, Dom? And then also the exclusivity. How do you think is this a surprise? Is this what you expected? Yeah, I mean, I was always kind of um, teetering. I think there were good, you know, good points brought up by a lot of people, like in either direction of whether like it's better for them to go fully exclusive with the Bethesda stuff or you know continue on PlayStation. There were good points to both sides of that argument. Obviously, like that's this is this is from people who aren't there and don't know the inner workings of what it means, right? Um, but yeah, this this makes a lot of sense to me ultimately. Um, I mean, thinking about the idea of the Elder Scrolls Six only being available on Xboxes and PCs, and I guess like um, Android and iOS devices via xCloud, maybe they wouldn't even do that with uh, who knows how that would. But anyway, um, <clears throat> like that idea, like that's insane, right? Like that that's that's crazy. Like that is like the the I don't think that a bigger system seller could exist. You know what I mean? Unless GTA went exclusive or something, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's that's insanity. Um, and, and and like I think, yeah, you're sacrificing potential, like you know, the royalties you would get if you put that game on PlayStation, also where it could sell more overall copies. But like this this model is going to get people on your platform, and it's going to get people into Game Pass, and like that's why I think it. Phil said it the way he did, like, well, this is gonna these games are gonna exist where Game Pass exists. And like that's ultimately what they're just betting everything on. Um, is like Game Pass is gonna be it. This is this is the shit. This is where you're gonna play Elder Scrolls, and this is where you're gonna play Starfield, Fallout Five and and so on. And that's just like an it's a bonkers idea, but um ultimately it it, it adds up. It makes sense to me. Um and it's exciting. Like it doesn't really make too much of a difference ultimately like in my life and our life it's like whatever we're gonna play them the game i need it doesn't matter too much to us but um it's exciting um i guess for for microsoft and like i think it's it's healthy for the industry to you know for microsoft to like start hitting freaking like really heavy with their first parties well man the western rpgs they're gonna have on hand is gonna be crazy imagine if a vow came comes out and hits too uh, yeah. which is wild. And I wonder if one, one thing we haven't discussed is Obsidian making that game. They obviously know they wanted to differentiate itself from the Elder Scrolls. I wonder if now that they're all under the same house, those two studios talk to each other and be like, I mean, we already know what Elder Scrolls is going to be for the most part, but I think they'll be able to collaborate and make sure their games are different enough to where they feel unique. Right. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The other thing that you mentioned was um, you were talking about how the Game Pass statement of where Phil said, oh, yeah, where it comes to Game Pass. It's a strong arm way of putting the responsibility on Nintendo and Sony. Yeah. Because (laughs) now whenever people ask, Phil can be like, well, I said it'll come to wherever Game Pass is. And, you know, it's not my fault Game Pass isn't on PlayStation. It's not my fault Game Pass isn't on Nintendo. And it kind of you know, moves the responsibility in their court, which is smart because, you know, people are going to complain either way. Um, and if it was up to me, Dom, we've talked about this, like I would want all games to release everywhere, but that's just not the reality of the situation. And as much as I love Xbox, I know in order for them to succeed in this market, they need to have a reason for people to go to their platform too. So in that way, I'm for the, 
Bethesda going exclusive. You know what I mean? That's the kind of the angle I'm playing there. And it is going to be wild, man, if if Elder Scrolls Six comes out and it's just on Xbox, which we assume it is based on these comments. But also, Microsoft confirmed that they're having their summer event, which we already kind of knew. They said it's going to be similar to their E3, E3 showcase. And they also stated that Bethesda will be heavily featured, which we can assume because obviously they're a part of them now. Here's my wild pitch, Dom. Imagine <laughs> this scenario. Xbox has their event. They go through all of it. Yada, yada, yada. All this awesome stuff. The one more thing announcement, right? Starfield comes up. We see this amazing reveal trailer showing off the narrative. Then it goes into a gameplay deep dive where Todd Howard's on stage cracking jokes, doing his Todd Howard thing. And then he pops up with a release date of September, August or September, right? Of 2021, right? So we see the, we see the, we see the, the August date first, then we see the actual day and then we see 2021 and they do the fallout four thing where this game comes out like three months, I guess if it would be September, I guess three months afterwards. Right. And then halo still hits in November, late November. That's a pretty solid thing of having two games like that for the holiday for your console where they want to compete and they want to sell hardware. And you know, you could say like, Oh, both of them are sci-fi. How are they going to, why would you release them so close to one another? But I do think the audiences for those two games are completely different, right? One's a sci-fi RPG developed by one of the best RPG studios on the planet. And the other one's a first person shooter, right? I think they could totally come out within a month of each other. and It'd be fine. Mm -hmm. Do I think Starfield comes out this year? No. Do I think it's possible? Yes. I do think it's possible. Um, where do you sit in terms of, do you think that we could reasonably get Starfield in the same year as Halo Infinite within months of each other? Uh, and if not, do you think that no matter what, we still see it uh, in June as a way for Xbox to flex this acquisition and maybe they tease 2022? So this question is really revolved around Starfield and what you anticipate in the coming year, calendar year for its announcement and reveal and stuff. Yeah, I think... Um... Because we know Bethesda Game Studios, you know, they really like that, that approach they used with Fallout 4, right? They announced it, it at, like, an E3 time frame, right? Like, in a, in a June, and then it came out in, like, It was at E3. Yeah, at E3, okay. they announced it, and then it came out that uh, November, I think? Let me look up the date. Yeah, I think it was November, but, but yeah, so we know they like that. And, like Todd Howard had said, if it were up to him the window between announcement and release would be as small as possible. You know, granted, he obviously understands that like, that's not possible. They have to, there's so much marketing you have to do to be able to get your, get the sales you're going to need from, especially a bigger game like that. So, um, that being said, like when, when, you know, when Todd says that same thing to Phil, like, yo, I want to, I want to announce Starfield like only a couple months before I want to put it out. And I think Phil would be like, okay, you know, might have to like it'd be a conversation, but uh, I think that's totally, totally possible, if not likely. Um, <clears throat> it's just a matter of is this the year that the game is ready to do that or not, right? But I'm I'm with you where like it's certainly possible that it's you know that that's the schedule it's on. We know so little about it. Um, I think it's definitely possible that that happens that it gets announced and released this year. Um, <clears throat> as far as it being close to Halo, I don't, I don't, I'm with you. I don't think that's too much of a concern because, yeah, the, the audiences for those two games are a bit different. But we also got to remember that that Game Pass is a part of the equation now, and I think that changes things because you're no longer asking people to buy two sixty dollar games, you know, within yeah. a few weeks of each other or within a few months of each other. 
You're just asking people to subscribe and stay subscribed to Game Pass and you get them both whenever, right? So I think that um, eases the burden a little bit of, you know, being afraid to launch two games from the same publisher right on top of each other. Grant, I don't think they're going to release the same day, right? They'll still try to reasonably spread them out as much as they could, you know, maybe a month apart. Um, but I don't, I don't see any reason that any huge reason that wouldn't happen. Like if again, that the game, assuming the games are done and this is when they want to release them, um, based on their progress. So I think I'm, I'm pretty much aligned with you here. Well, the interesting thing too, is if Starfield does end up coming out this year, that could alleviate stress on, uh, three, four, three getting halo out this year. Cause like if Starfield comes out in the fall and they delay halo again, I don't think it'll be as poorly received as if they just uh, delay Halo and they have nothing this fall, right? Um, not say I still am of the belief that Halo is coming out this year, no matter what. Uh, to clarify, uh, so the game was Fallout Four was revealed on June fourteenth, and it was released on November tenth, so five months, about five months. Um, so yeah, we could totally see a June event and then it release in October or November. It's totally possible. Um, it, the, an interesting thing in the roundtable too is that Todd Howard kind of like came out and was like, "Yeah, we really screwed up with Fallout seventy six. We did a lot of yeah. things wrong." He uh, said, he was, "The one quote was, we did very little right." Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was very critical, and, and he called Phil Spencer apparently and talked to him about that. And that's one thing that was interesting in that roundtable too is that they they would regularly call each other asking advice about stuff, which I thought was incredible, um, and shows the lack of ego there, right? Because Todd mm-hmm. Howard has done so much in this industry, and Phil Spencer is like one of the most powerful men in one of the most powerful companies in the entire world. Uh, he sits at the board of directors at Microsoft, which is wild, right? Uh, even though he always seems like the kid at the adults' table with all the other people. Um, no, no shade at Phil. I love Phil. But he, the, the fact that they're willing to call each other and talk to each other. And they also talked about how. Bethesda was early adopters of Game Pass, and they provided valuable feedback for that too, uh, which is cool. So I just thought that roundtable was really good. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, despite us talking about a lot of what we they said, there's still a lot of stuff we didn't cover. It's about an hour long. Remember, YouTube has a, a functionality where you can watch stuff at higher speeds. It helps out a ton. You can get through stuff a lot quicker. Uh, and I really enjoyed my time listening to that discussion. It's something we don't normally get. I would absolutely love if we got have you ever seen the Hollywood Reporter tables where they have like actors? They have like eight actors and they all talk to each other. It's like an interview, like a group interview. You ever seen yeah. Those? Yeah, I know what you mean. I would love those for Sony and Microsoft where it's all the heads of the companies. Mm-hmm. And then just having a discussion about game development. That'd be so dope. Obviously, it's hard because they're all working really hard on their projects and everything. But um, that'd be a really cool thing to see. Um, yeah. Even a mixture reminds... of both. Oh, yeah. 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 That reminds me a lot. Like there was this um, something similar similar to that, but it was like it was like Tom Brady and like Peyton Manning and Belichick and a couple other, and then some older ex players and stuff. Oh yeah, and they were they're all... talking about the greatest players, right? Yeah, is that the and, one? Like, yeah. And so like yeah, they were, they obviously competed against each other, but they were just it was a very candid conversation. Like oh yeah, we saw you guys were always doing this, so we set up this to try to counteract it and like shit like that. Obviously, it can't be quite. It would never. It would never happen with the gaming companies in general, but certainly not uh, that again. Yeah. That'd be so cool. It's just great to hear discussions from people who are like at the top level of their specific craft talk to each right. other. Yeah. Because you see yeah, like they just get it and they're talking to other people who get it and it's just, mm-hmm. it's wild. Yeah. Um, 
if you have a chance, check out those Hollywood Reporter interviews if you're if you're listening and you're interested in actors and film and stuff because they're really good. I'm not even a huge film buff, and I love watching those roundtable discussions. Uh, that's pretty much it. Let's talk about what we've been playing, Dom. I got a couple of things to mention. First up, hop back into Magic the Gathering Arena. Love that game. Obviously, I've been a huge Magic fan of my entire life, so I hopped back in. Uh, having a blast there. Not much else to say. Um, it's Magic the Gathering. It's whatever. Uh, not much updates there. I am curious to see if that game ever comes to console. I know they're working on the mobile ports of it, but I would love if that thing came to uh, Series X or PlayStation 5 or both. Um, I don't know if it could run. You know, It's a card game, which is a dumb thing to say, but I don't know if it could run on Switch. And especially because it's so online focused, I don't think that'd be an optimal place to, to play it. But having a blast with that. The thing I wanted to mention, have you heard of Curse of the Dead Gods? No. So Curse of the Dead Gods is this new uh, roguelike game. Think Hades, but instead of Greek mythology, think uh, like Mayan mythology, right? Okay. Sure, okay. Sure. So the way this game, and I've never played Hades, so I don't know the structure. So since you've played Hades, you'll know if this is a similar structure. Um, so the way the game begins, you walk into this, this tomb, you get cursed. And when you start the, when you start like a run, right? Like a run, uh, you have a choice of four different temples to enter. There's a temple of Jaguar, temple of the Eagle, and I haven't done the other two. And you can choose any of them you want. And then, uh, every run you, uh, acquire specific items. So there's like gold, there's these rings, and there's this other, like other statue thing. I forget the name of it. But each one is a currency used to buy upgrades that stick with you from run to run. Uh, so you can buy different buffs for your character. You can buy different... Um, there's a set of items or weapons, Dom, and you can buy them so that way they'll spawn in your run. So you don't get them from the beginning, but it's like, okay, they're available to find in chests or from fallen enemies during your run, right? So you're unlocking them that way. Um, and the way it works is you start the game and you have... A primary weapon, a secondary weapon, and a long-range weapon. Primary weapon can be a number of things. It can be a sword, a hammer, whatever. Your secondary weapon can either be a pistol, uh, it can be a whip, uh, or it can be like a dagger. And then your long-range weapon can be a spear or a war hammer or a bow. So there's plenty of diversity in terms of how you want to play the game, right? Um, and you can even upgrade your starter weapons, which is really cool. So you can uh, upgrade it so that way when you start a new run, you have a choice of higher-end weapons. Um, what else? Oh, so each... Remember I told you there's a Temple of the Eagle, the Temple of the Jaguar. They're different in not only the, the level structure, uh, but also the enemies that spawn in those specific dungeons. The Temple of the Jaguar has a lot of ground-based enemies that attack in lengthy patterns, whereas the Temple of the Eagle has flying enemies that swoop in and swoop out, right? They kind of go with the theme of the temple. I haven't fought the boss of the Temple of the Eagle, but I've defeated the boss of the Temple of the Jaguar, and he's this Mayan dude who summons these jaguars to fight for him. So you kind of have to balance attacking him while also attacking the jaguars because they'll just he'll just keep spawning them. It's not like he reaches five and then he spawns a new one, fifth one disappears, and this new one comes. No, like... I, I tested it, and he, he had, like, 13 Jaguars at one point, just because I was curious. Okay, yeah. um, it's definitely, you know, in the spirit of a roguelike, the more you play it, the better you get at it. The problem I have in a lot of these games to start with, Dom, is I feel like I rush myself. 
Like, I'm so worried about killing these enemies as fast as I can and getting through the level. And though there is a time element to some of these things, you can take your time. Especially with the boss. I get too rushed. And then I hit this point where I'm like, I can take my time, be cool. The cool, uh, interesting twist about this game is that every door you pass through, Dom, you acquire curse. Okay? There's a bar. Starts at zero, goes up to 100. Every time this bar fills up with corruption, you get a new corrupted uh, buff or debuff attached to you. So some of them are like, whenever you open a, a chest, it'll attack you, so you have to parry it. There's also a parry system in the game. Uh, or it'll be like, uh, instead of taking damage, you take corruption, right? So instead of a guy attacking you and doing 10 damage to you, you'll gain 10 corruption, which is kind of bullshit. Because once you hit five corruption tokens filled, you get like a really, really bad one. Um, it, I'm trying to think of what else makes it unique in terms of a roguelike. So there's the corruption system. And then there's also, uh, what is it called? I guess we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. Does any of this seem similar to Hades? Because like I said, I've never played Hades. Yeah, it sounds very similar. Um, in fact, I kind of had the same feeling of being rushed that you described in Hades. Yeah. Because like, each time, you know, you're going back through that in Hades was different in that like, uh, there was just a path. You didn't get to choose which way you went, really. Um, okay. I guess there's there's some flexibility of like some things you can do on a run that are slightly varied, but it's not like not nothing like what you described as far as the paths. But yeah, I would I would get that same feeling of being rushed, especially like going back through when you technically are starting a lot of the same areas over each time, um, and it's fast paced. So I'm just like wanting to get through to get going. And I eventually fell off of it after like a lot of hours, but um, yeah, it sounds pretty similar. Is it like uh, I assume that it's also kind of like that top-down perspective. Um, Isometric-y, yeah. So okay. yep. this might be, the way you talked about Hades, this might be different for Curse of the Dead Gods too. So the way the, the thing starts is, say I choose Temple of the Eagle, okay? I get in there, it's like a dungeon with enemies. I kill all the enemies, I get to the end. I guess this is something I forgot to say. You can you carry a torch with you, you can pull out or put away at any time, right? The The hook of that is you take more damage in the dark than in the light. So there's these areas you can light up, but they're not permanent. So you'll light them up, and if a da an enemy damages them or the fire just goes out, you're back in the dark. So you take bonus damage in the dark, which is a neat little intricate mechanic to it. So say I start the Temple of the Eagle, I finish this first thing, I go through the door, I gain corruption, right? Then it pulls up an interweaving map where it's three rows, uh, and not all the spots are filled in, but you get to choose which, which uh, room you go to next. And by picking one path, you kind of eliminate options that aren't connected on the other paths, right? Does it make sense to you? So if I pick a path on the right, there's a good chance that the path on the left, I won't have a chance because the middle never connects back to it, right? Okay. And you can either get relics, traits, gold, or health rooms, right? Okay, that's a lot like Hades, yeah. Okay, yeah, and the, the thing with this, though, is when you go to a health room, you can choose how many times you want to heal from the, the fountain, but for every heal you take, you get corruption added. So that goes mm -hmm. back to the corruption mechanic of it's partially you managing your health to make sure you don't die, but you're also managing your corruption meter so that way you don't get gain too many like bad debuffs, right? But they're not always bad. Like you can get gain a bar of corruption and then get an ability that says you do bonus damage in the dark, which kind of eliminates one of the mechanics of the game, like I said, where you take more damage in the dark. Uh, and you can also... Uh, sacrifice items you don't need to the gods to gain more gold. There's an interesting thing where you can gain two on a weapon. It's an, uh, uh, trait on a weapon where 
instead of paying gold for items, you can pay corruption. And then there's another one where instead of paying corruption or gold for items, you can pay in health and blood. Um, it's really cool. It seems like from what you said, how similar it is, I think it took Hades and put it into a mind mythology. And there's a little bit of tweaks to make it unique. Uh, but I do think it's really seen at a smart time with all of the critical praise Hades got. And especially because Hades isn't on Xbox yet. Right. So this is the closest oh, right. Xbox gamers have to, uh, to Hades. So uh, if you enjoyed Hades, I do think that this might have enough for you to check it out in due time. I would Sounds love for like this. It. I don't, I don't know if it's actually in game pass. I don't think, I don't know if I bought the, it or if it's in game pass. The only, like the next question I would ask um, before making that recommendation would be like one thing that ev- a lot of people really love about Hades, me included was uh, the way the story was told. Um, how interesting the characters were. So like, even though you're going through the same levels every run, you know, mm-hmm. you're talking to all these characters and like time has still passed. Um, even though you die, like it's still, it all, it all still happened in that world. And so the characters remember what you did last time. And so things are progressing um, with each of the characters and they have like the dialogue, all that writing is really, really good and interesting. Um, I didn't fucking finish it, but <laughs> um, thus far it was uh, really engaging. So I'd be curious, like, um, what uh, Curse of the Dead Gods did as far as like story, if anything. So in on that front, I don't think it would hold the candle to Hades, if I'm being perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't seem like it's focusing on the narrative aspect of it. I think it's more focusing on the moment-to-moment gameplay. Um, so I don't think it would hold the candle there, and it probably shows yeah. the difference between Curse of the Dead's God, Dead Gods being a solid game to check out and Hades being a Game of the Year contender, right? Because it well, adds in that extra level of depth. Yeah, but and it's just something to be aware of because like if your favorite thing about Hades was like the structure and the gameplay, like and you didn't really care about the story anyway, or like you know, then then it's absolutely right up your alley. But if the only thing you liked about Hades was the story, then you know, then that might be tougher. But yeah, uh, another thing I didn't add is it has a stamina mechanic. Uh, does Hades have a oh. stamina mechanic? No. So you have no. five. You have five moves you can do. Right. So you can either roll or attack, and they refill over time. Some bone, uh, some items have bonuses that grant you extra stamina boost. There's some that are like if you get a perfect parry, you get a stamina regen, right? So the reason I like it is it may not have those narrative elements. And actually, you saying all that gets me more excited for Hades whenever it eventually does come to Xbox. But this, it gives me the feel of like say Hades was closer to a Souls game, and I know we always bring up From games, but having to manage your stamina, the curse system in it. Like all of it is just, it's brutal in a way that feels rewarding when you actually get through it. Um, I don't know how much the game is. Uh, it seems like it's not on Game Pass. I'm assuming it was probably like 15 bucks. Um, but I was honestly just yearning for something Hades. Like I wanted to play a roguelike and this came up. Art style looks cool. It looks very much like, um, what's the name of the PC game? That uh, Dungeon, what is it called? Dom, help me out here dungeon the the really hard game where you have like your dungeon you go into darkest a dungeon. dungeon darkest dungeon it has a darkest dungeon aesthetic where the the lines and the characters are really bold like they're really thick mm. black lines um what i would suggest is i know that like i said it doesn't match the narrative elements of hades which really drew you in check out a gameplay video and mm. i think it'll either sell you or be like yeah maybe i'll check it out eventually when it's in game pass or on sale but because you liked elements of the gameplay for Hades. I think it's definitely worth a look and I'm having a blast with it. I don't know what's past these initial temples. Like, I don't know how it morphs from that. Like 
Do the levels get more complicated? Is there a way where there's save points? That's another cool thing is that whenever you enter a new room after you gain the corruption, you can save immediately there and go back to the main menu. So it has some level of save system. You'll enter back in with all of your stuff and everything, but it's, you know, allows you to save and quit, which is cool. Don't know if Hades allows you to do that. I'm assuming it does. <laughs> uh yeah but having a blast with this uh didn't expect to enjoy it as much as i did honestly i'd heard uh, from people who loved hades that they were playing this game and it was a blast and once again i'll reiterate hades isn't on xbox yet so i was like this is the closest i'm gonna get for a while uh so having a good time with that really excited to see what else it holds i need to get back to oxen free uh and who knows with oh, all yeah. this dishonored stuff um oxen free i haven't started that either we, I need to get back to it, and you need to start it. We're both yeah. doing a poor job there. But yeah, if, you, if those listening, if Hades interested you or this at all interests you from what I've said, look it up, Curse of the Dead Gods. It looks really dope. And it seems like uh, the type of game that the developers are going to be supporting for a while because every day they add a new special like event. So you have the three rooms you can choose from the beginning down, but then there's three bottom ones that you can fill up. And one of the special events I did is it removed the entire HUD. It was in black and white. So you had no idea where your health was at and it gave the game a new aesthetic and it was just more of like an arcade new way to try out the game. So I thought that was cool too. And I don't know what other special events they have, but having a blast with that. How's everything going with you? You finished Neo, right? Yeah, Neo's done. And um, I, I, did, I only had a short debate about what I wanted to get into next. Like I talked about, or uh, you were telling me about Oxenfree last week and stuff, but I ended up getting back into Dark Souls 2 scholar okay. of the first sin which is the you know the game of the year this year right um but it's actually interesting because they um that was actually a remaster not just a game of the year edition and they supposedly i don't remember the exact names of the technologies but it was one of those remasters where like it went from like direct x 11 to 12 i don't know what that means it's something to do with like a graphics engine or something to that effect um it's supposed to be like good like a bigger improvement um but unfortunately, the game just looks like absolute ass to my eyes right now. <laughs> Coming off of Demon Souls, you know, remake, it's like this is tough to look at. Um, but you know, I will say like the main hub area, uh, Majula, really nice. I love being in that section of this game. Um, super beautiful, and like that water that's in the back and the uh, the music, just like those soft piano keys. Um, but the but it, it runs absolutely like perfectly smooth um, at this point. So um, I'm probably already actually like a third of the way through it uh, with the intent being I've platinumed every from software game um, on, you know, on PlayStation and dark souls two, I had gotten all the achievements, but it was on steam. So, you know, the, the weird messed up part of my brain you know, told me that I need to get the platinum on a PlayStation <laughs> platform for, this game too. Plus, I had actually never played the DLC, um, so that will be that will be every bit of From Software, you know, modern content. Uh, once I finish that DLC, I'll have played. So, um, I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's um, it's interesting. Like, it's it, what else they changed with this game is it's supposedly more difficult than Dark Souls Two when it first launched. Um, they they added in like random enemies additional like throughout the game and like changed up a few places of placements of certain items or things like that i don't know the uh the full scope of it but it's super easy 
it's super easy for me i guess at this point like um it's been i hadn't played it since launch right so like 2014 so um it's crazy like just the muscle memory like i just know where everything is um i couldn't have told you beforehand but as soon as i like walk into an area i'm like oh yeah i know this and i know that there's a guy behind this you know this corridor and i know to look out for that trap here it's just and i know even attack patterns i'm like okay yep um pretty straightforward i know what i'm doing um but yeah nonetheless still a lot of fun um it's been a while and it's it's nice to see like some of these old areas that i haven't seen in a while it's kind of uh nostalgic in a way so. only souls game I, I ever played once uh all the other ones i've played at least twice or more i, mm. I man just it's missing that miyazaki touch for me uh but i need to go back and eventually play it did he have a hand in the color of the first sin i wonder the remaster i yeah don't know i wouldn't have i wouldn't think so but um i'll have to look into that yeah i need to get back to it though uh real quick i did some research on uh curse of the dead gods developed by a one-man studio oh really which is very surprising uh the quality of this game is really good and a busy uh, dude yeah it's kind of surprising i was like what the heck and uh it's described as a skill-based roguelike which makes sense as i was talking about the stamina and all that stuff and i I was i would assume from seeing hades it's more arcade than skill-based but would i be wrong with that is it is it more skill-based i yeah definitely because i'm okay when you say arcade i'm thinking like more like a diablo you know where where hades less that it's less button mashy like that and more like you got to be agile and paying close attention you got to be um you know you gotta you gotta be in there it's like a bloodborne right yeah Man, I'm just shocked that this game was made by one. Whenever I say that for any game, I'm like, good lord, man, you're incredible. Or she, whoever, is just like, that's wild. Uh, and I'm I'm looking at its Steam page real quick. It got nines across the board, which I didn't know. Okay. Yeah, IGN gave it a 9 out of 10, Screen Rant, all, yeah, a bunch of people gave it. Good for it. It's a really solid game. But like I said, if you're somebody who loved the narrative of Hades, I don't think you're getting that here. This is more about the, the gameplay than the narrative, and that's completely mm-hmm. fine. Um, I think that's it for this week's show. I don't have anything else. You don't have anything else. Yeah, that was that was it for me. <laughs> uh, man, you want me going? I want to go back to, what's the name of, I don't think he's, I don't remember if he's the first boss, but the most iconic Dark Souls 2 boss is the, not the armor, what's his name? He's like one of the first bosses you fight in the game. Not he's not Ornstein. He's the one before that. The Dragon Rider, that guy. Hold on, let me see. The Dark old Soul. Dragon Slayer. Dark. I keep spelling Dark. Dark Souls two bosses. Hold on. I hate when he you... doesn't have many iconic bosses. To be totally honest. No, but there's one that people always talk about as like the boss of Dark Souls two. He's not the hardest, but he's like. The one people associate with it. Hold on, I'm going, I'm looking through the list. No, no, no. God, I didn't know this. I don't remember, like, most of these bosses. I'm looking, now that I'm looking through this list. He's, like, one of the first. Where is he? Not the Dragon Rider, not the Twin Dragon Riders. He's, like, one of the first dudes you face. He's pr- practically just, like, a dude in armor. The pursuer, the pursuer oh, is okay. what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, good call. Yep. Yeah, I'm, what did I call him? The artificer or something? Whatever. Anyways, 
that's it for Dark Souls 2 cast. Uh, next week, we'll have that Square Enix Presents to talk about. Uh, like I said, probably won't be a lot of big announcements there, but maybe something else to come out of the woodworks in the gaming world. That's been it for this week. If you can, please follow us on all of your uh, podcast services. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Play. We're on iTunes Podcasts. You can follow us individually on Twitter at Jared Weich. That's J-E-R-A-D-W-Y-C-H-E. You can follow Dom at Dom's Oreos, and you can follow us at C-T-R-L-I-N-T. It's Controlled Interest Abbreviated. We're also on Instagram at Controlled Interest. Uh, YouTube search Controlled Interest will pop right up. Subscribe. Hit the bell notification to know when we upload new videos. Hit the like button if you like it. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think of the podcast. Answer any of the questions we have. Talk to us. Start a conversation. That's it for this week. We'll catch you guys next time.